Let's begin in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Follow along with me. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and he said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting might this be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Father God, we just come before you and this word today. And we invite your presence to speak to our hearts and to our lives. God, let us be moved by this story that moved heaven and earth to reach us. God, we pray today that we're not just informed, but that we're transformed, that our minds are renewed in Christ Jesus. Today, God, we, we want to meditate on the word of God. Lord, we receive it as the absolute authority for our lives. Speak today. By your Holy Spirit. Lord, through my limitations, Lord, speak powerfully your word in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. <coughs> in Mary's <coughs> wonder at being chosen to be the mother of the Messiah, she praised God. In just a few moments, we're going to get to the part of the story where we have Mary's song. And that's really the part that I want to get to. But as I read this story, there were so many things that lead up to that song that I want us to see. It's an interesting story. In fact, much of it is a medley of Old Testament scriptures. When you get to her song, which begins in verse 46 of the same chapter, we find a medley of Old Testament scriptures and, and some familiarity. Her story, her song rather, parallels the song that... Hannah sang in 1 Samuel chapter 2 when God blessed her with, a, with Samuel, a son, and she responded in a song of praise. Both Hannah and Mary respond to a God of surprises, a God who changes the script and flips the world upside down through His sovereignty in a moment. How many of you know that we still serve a God of surprises? How many of you like to give gifts to your kids at Christmas. You, you love the surprise, right? 
We, we, do, we love that. It's, it's a reflection of the Creator God whose image we are formed in. We love to see the expression on our kids' face. I'm going to tell you, God is a God who still loves to surprise His kids with blessing. You know, my wife has a friend on Facebook. I guess they knew each other in high school, but now they're just Facebook uh, friends. And, and we saw that uh, on Friday a week ago, the day after Thanksgiving, she went to the hospital... Uh, with severe stomach pains, probably assuming it was something she ate the day before. And uh, so she went to the hospital complaining of severe stomach pains. Little did she know that the next day she would be going home from the hospital with a healthy baby boy. Yeah, she was having contractions and she didn't even know she was pregnant. How many of you know nobody has to tell her today that God's a God of surprises? By the way, I just got to stop right here and say a big welcome uh, to, to Corey and Tim Faust and their beautiful, beautiful little baby girl. And, uh, and they're here for the first time with her this morning. And also, I got to say to Alicia Collins over here, she was here with Danielle last week for the first time, and I failed to mention it, but it is so awesome to have these beautiful babies in the service. Amen. Yeah. So they might be adding the soundtrack to the sermon on Christmas today and, and throughout the month. They might be offering the, the music, and that's okay. We, we, we'll make it, right? <coughs> I'll just hack and cough, and they can coo, and it'll, it'll be all right. <laughs> so as we look at this story, we see a God that is full of surprises. But why Mary? I mean... That's the question, really, that, that resonates with me. Why Mary? I mean, why would God pick this, this young girl, a teenager, really, in, a, in an obscure town called Nazareth? Why would he choose her to carry his son? Why not somebody uh, with a little bit of, of experience or somebody with, uh, with more um, political advantage or, or financial gain? Maybe somebody that lives in a, in a well-known area. Why would he pick someone like her? And we could embellish that thought all day, but really I want to ask a more applicable question. And that question is, why you? And why me? I mean, surely we're not called to carry the incarnate word of God inside of us as Mary was, but we are called to carry the inerrant word of God inside of us. We are called to carry the infallible word of God. I'm talking about God's word. It's inerrant, it's infallible, and the Bible says it's to be on the inside of us. In fact, Colossians says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The immutable word of God on the inside of us. And he's given us this incredible opportunity to carry the word. John says in John 1 that Jesus is the word. The word made flesh. And it's our responsibility to carry the word now, now don't push back from this like it's a, a silly analogy because there's some substance that I want to get to today. I genuinely believe that there is a song that Christmas is singing. That there's something that God wants you to hear today that he wants all of us to hear. And it's simply this, that God wants to use you. That was the overwhelming, surprising message that came to Mary through an angelic visitation. And today, it's coming to you through a simple servant. But I want you to hear it loud and clear. God wants to use you. He wants to use your life. 
He wants to use your story. And Mary responds to this incredible encounter with a song of praise. And the song of praise is an overflow. It's, it's just an outburst of what's already in her heart. It's an outburst of, of praise that says something to us about who she is. And I believe it says something to us about who we ought to be. And so we're going to look at her song in just a few moments. Mary's song was motivated by this reality that God could use even me. A simple peasant, a simple servant, a common girl from the wrong town to fulfill the hope of every Jewish young lady. See, in Judaism, uh, motherhood was highly esteemed. I mean, to be, to be with child was a thing of incredible honor. And we see like stories in the Old Testament, like the story of Hannah, who God blessed with Samuel. When someone is barren and they can't have children, it was looked on in society from the world's vantage point and from the religious vantage point as a curse, as you must have done something to offend God. Now we can understand today that there's all kinds of practical and, and, and physical reasons and we would never dare say that, that God has cursed someone or that they don't have God's blessing if they can't have children. But in this day and in this culture, People looked at it with an understanding that, that there must be something wrong in your life that God won't bless you with the child because to have a child was such an incredible blessing. And one of the reasons that it was looked at with such high esteem was because women thought in Judaism that if God would bless me with a child, then just maybe this child will be the child, the promised Messiah. And if, if she is pregnant with child, then there is this glimmer of hope that maybe she would be the one to bring forth the Redeemer that they all longed for and anticipated. And so here's Mary getting chosen <coughs> to be the mother of the Son of God. There's anticipation. There's joy. And I want you to look at the story with me in Luke chapter 1. Look at verse 39. We'll pick up from where we left off. It says this, At that time, Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. <coughs> Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. She goes to visit her cousin, whom the angel had told her was pregnant and already in her sixth month. Now, honestly, we don't really know exactly why Mary went to visit Elizabeth, but we can... We can speculate. And we know this much. We know the reason that the angel told her about Elizabeth's pregnancy. The angel told Mary, Elizabeth, your cousin, is in her sixth month. She who was barren and said to not be able to conceive is now in her sixth month. The angel told her that to affirm and to ratify the promise that God had given her. And he followed it with saying, nothing's too hard for God. I know this seems impossible to you, but Elizabeth is even pregnant. Nothing is too hard for God. And so Mary, the Bible says very emphatically, she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. She hurried there. Maybe, maybe she just needed a little assurance. You ever just needed a little reassurance like you you got the, you got the report you got the promise but you know it's kind of like that second and third pregnancy test that, that you take you know after the first one gives you the results and you know the results 
but you just take a second one and you take a third one and maybe even a fourth one <laughs> because you need the reassurance that, that I just want to know that this says what it says. Well, if Mary wanted assurance, I can promise you that's exactly what she got. Look at verse 41 with me in this story. It says this, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, I just had this thought this morning as I was reading over this again. This is the first time in Jesus' incarnate life on the earth, this is the first time that he ever visited anybody. I mean, he's only in the first trimester, but he he goes and he visits. And isn't it interesting that when Jesus goes and visits, somebody gets filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, God is still visiting people and filling them with his power today. He's never changed his assignment. Mary shows up in the house of Elizabeth, and the Bible says immediately Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, And as I thought about that, this is just a snapshot. I mean, this is just one encounter that Mary had in her pregnancy with Elizabeth. But my imagination kind of ran a little bit. And I have to wonder how many encounters there were like this. I wonder how many times that that maybe Mary was, you know, sitting in the waiting room at her prenatal visit. You know, and she's sitting next to somebody. And for some reason, this person just feels the presence of God. And maybe right there in their heart, they just just begin to to confess sin and, and get right with God. You know, she's going through the market. She's doing her grocery shopping. Somebody just senses the the presence of the Holy Spirit on their life. You say, that's crazy. No, it's not crazy. The moment she walks in, the Bible says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I just wonder if it ever happens in me. As I carry the Word of God, as I carry the presence of God on the inside of my life, does anyone ever rub shoulders with me and sense something other? Does anyone ever rub shoulders with you and sense the power and the presence of God? Not because you're preaching at them or or waving a Bible in their hand or or, or throwing a track at them, but just because there's something in you, on the inside of you, that resonates with them. And Elizabeth, the Bible says, was filled. And I want to tell you today, if you'll carry the presence of God in your heart and in your life, it's going to affect people. It's going to bring change in people's lives. Look at the next verse with me. Verse 42 says, In a loud voice, this is Elizabeth, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill His promises to her. This is Elizabeth's prophecy. And I'm going to tell you, if if Mary came for an encouraging word, she got it out of both barrels. This is not just an encouraging word for Mary. This is an encouraging word for all the people of God. you got to understand the, the context of what's happening here. This is the first prophetic utterance to come forth from any person of God in over 400 years. From the time of Malachi, God wasn't speaking. They were waiting, they were listening, they were hoping, they were hearing stories of how God used to speak, how He used to move in in mighty ways and demonstrate His power through prophets and men and women of God. And God's not speaking anymore. 
So they're waiting in hope and anticipation for some 400 years. And then all of a sudden, after an angel visits a young virgin girl, she goes and visits her elderly cousin who responds to the presence of God with a prophetic declaration. And she begins to prophesy. She hasn't even heard Mary say anything yet. And she begins to talk about the baby in her womb. She begins to talk about the Lord who is coming forth. She begins to prophesy. And Mary receives a prophetic blessing. And that just puts a thought in my heart. And and I want to get to the song that she sings, but you got to hear this. Where are you looking for your affirmation? Because the reality for me and for you is we all need it. Some of us more than others. We need affirmation. But I think sometimes we make a critical mistake in our journey with God, in our journey of faith, as we're trying to grow, as we're trying to move forward. Maybe you're even thinking about taking a step in obedience to to do something for the Lord that you've never done before. Where are you going for your affirmation? Because as I thought about this pivotal moment for Mary... What jumped out in the text to me was was two things. Look back in verse 26. It tells us that God sent an angel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Everybody just say, a town in Galilee. That's where she's from. That's where she's at. That's what she knows. But then the Bible says, down in verse 39, Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country. I just wonder what would have happened in the story if instead of hurrying to a town in the hill country, Mary would have returned to a town in Galilee. I just wonder because when I look in the scriptures at the story and I see what took place in a town of Galilee, I realize that Mary could have been set up for a lot of discouragement. I mean, even before she got started in this incredible story, she could have been set up for major disappointment and setback. See, the Bible says in in Mark chapter 3, talking about Jesus' ministry, he came back to his hometown to minister. Mind you, this is about 30 years later. Jesus shows up in Mark 3, and the people said this, Isn't this Mary's son? Now, if you read your Bible, you know that most people are referred to as their father's son. But there's an indictment in that statement. Like he's illegitimate. Uh, Isn't this Mary's son? And then later in his ministry, the religious leaders are are confronting Jesus. And listen, listen to their words from John 8. They say, we are not illegitimate children. The only father we have is God himself. And so no doubt if Mary, a young girl, maybe 16 years old, would have rolled back into a town called Galilee and said, an angel of the Lord showed up and told me that I was going to bear in my womb the Messiah. And I'm a virgin. And I'm pregnant. That would go over about as well as you can imagine it going over in your neighborhood this week. There would be people giving her Glances, there would be accusation. There would be people turning their backs on her, telling her that you're, you're offending God, that you're, that you're embarrassing your family. Stop telling these lies. Just admit what you've really done. But she doesn't go to a town in Galilee. The Bible says she goes to a town 
in the hill country. And I just want to stop and tell you because a lot of times you get in a service like this and God begins to speak to your heart. Something stirs on the inside and you hear the voice of the Lord calling you saying, I want to use you. You go, yeah, that sounds right. And you leave this place and you go to a town called Galilee. And you get around the wrong people and you hear all the reasons that God can't use your life. All the reasons that God doesn't want to use you. All the reasons you're disqualified, too young, too old, too much of a past. And we miss out on the miracle that God wants to do in and through our lives. I just want to challenge you. Get around people that are going to feed your faith. Get around people who still believe in the power of God and in the fullness of the Spirit. Get around people that still believe God is speaking. There was no questioning it with Elizabeth. Regardless of the fact that there had been 400 years of silence, when Mary stepped on the scene, Elizabeth was prompted by the power of the Holy Spirit. She opened up her mouth and she began to prophesy. She began to speak towards the destiny that God had called Mary to live out. So be careful where you turn to when you've received a word from God. Don't go back to Galilee Look with me at verse 45. <clears throat> it's the last, part of, the last part of Elizabeth's statement. She says these words, incredible words. She says, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. Blessed is she who believed. Can I just tell you this morning that the criteria for the blessing of God is belief. God's no respecter of persons. God's not looking to favor one of us over another. He's looking for faith. And the criteria for the blessing of God is belief. And, and no one could say it better than Elizabeth did in that moment. Blessed is she who has believed. Blessed is he who has simply taken God at his word and said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be unto me as you have said. Blessed is he or she who has believed and i think that's all that mary needed to hear there was already something stirring on the inside of her but she responds in this moment and praise just erupts out of her heart and out of her mouth and she begins to sing a song and there's four things in this song that she sings that i want to share with you this morning that i think communicates the attitude that she had and the attitude in the heart that we ought to try to emulate Look at it with me, this song, this incredible song that Mary sings. Verse 46 says, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. Mary wanted God to receive all of the glory. You know, there's some people that have claimed that in order for Mary to, to give birth to Jesus, the Son of God, in order for her to be able to actually carry Jesus in her womb for nine months, then Mary must have had to have been without sin. That's the, the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. Maybe you've heard that phrase, Immaculate Conception, in which, as decreed in Roman Catholic dogma, her soul was preserved free from original sin by divine grace. That's the doctrine of Immaculate Conception, that, that Mary did not sin. In fact, December 8th, 
is a, a day that is celebrated as a Roman Catholic feast to commemorate the Immaculate Conception. But can I just tell you, you can, you can skip that meal this Tuesday because Mary, in verse 47, says something that is so critically important that we understand. Look at it with me. After she says, my soul glorifies the Lord, she said, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She calls Jesus, she calls God her Savior. Mary recognized something that we need to recognize today. She recognized that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And, and she, she exhibits a lot of admirable qualities that, that I want to draw out today and I want to show you. But here's something you've got to always remember about Mary and about you. That God didn't choose Mary because of who she was. He chose her because of who He is. He chose her not because she had the, the best resume, not because she was the most gifted or the most talented or, or the most holy. He chose her because of who he is. And when she responded in praise, she said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I need a Redeemer. I need a Savior. I need to come through God to show up and rescue me. That was Mary's heart. It's the same reason that he chooses you. Because of his grace. It's the same reason that I can say confidently and boldly this morning, God wants to use you. Not because you figured it out now. Not because you've been doing this discipleship thing for a while. Not because you got everything organized in your marriage and your finances and your, and your kids are acting right in church. No, God wants to use you because of who he is. Not because of who you are. And it's the grace of God that reaches out and calls Mary. <clears throat> Look with me in the next verse. There's something powerful that we see here. Verse 48 and 49. Mary continues to sing her song. She says, For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Here's what I love about Mary's song. She's absolutely overwhelmed with what God would do for her. And here's what she says. The mighty one has done great things for me. It's God who's done these great things. It's not me that's done these things. In fact, eight times in these ten verses of this song, she says, he has. He has done this. He has done this. This song is all about what God has done, not about who Mary is or what she has done. She is absolutely overwhelmed with all that God is and all that God has done. And she said, He has been mindful of me. Do you know that God is mindful of you? He's aware. He's attentive. Knows right where you're at. Knows right where you're, what you're going through. And she's overwhelmed with this. And her gratitude, it starts personally, but then it expands. It begins to grow. As she magnifies the Lord with all of her soul, she begins to thank God that not only is His hand of mercy and power and grace extending to her life, but it's extending to others as well. Look at it with me in the next verse. It says, verse 50, His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. Mary was saying this. She was saying, not only is God faithful to me, God is faithful 
to anyone who will reach out to Him. Not only is God merciful to me, not only is God powerful in my life, but this is the God that we serve. This is just His character. This is His nature. He is a God that is reaching, it is extending towards people. But there's five words in verse 50 that are critical that we don't overlook. These five words contextualize everything that she says in this statement. She says, His mercy extends to those who fear Him. To those who fear Him. This is not just some statement of the common grace of God. Well, God is good. He causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. No, this is something, this is something more. This is the favor of God. This is the blessing of God. And she said, His mercy, it's extravagant. It's reaching. It reached me. In fact, it reaches anyone who fears Him. Who puts their trust in Him. Now, I know in our day and age, we we look at the word fear immediately in a negative connotation. But this is a very positive statement in the Word of God. The Bible says in Psalm 112, Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in His commands. Psalm 25.10 says, All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of His covenant. Isaiah 55.3 says, Give ear and come to Me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. He said, come to me and listen. And if you'll come, if you'll listen, if you'll acknowledge me, if you'll fear the Lord in any in every circumstance, recognizing His presence is there. If you'll come to me and listen, I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. <clears throat> but in the same token, what He's saying is, if you don't come, if you don't listen, if you don't fear the Lord, if you don't acknowledge God with your life, there is no covenant extended to you. There is no mercy extended to you. The reality that Mary understood, the reality that we should grab a hold of is that, no, I can never reach mercy. No, I can never deserve God's grace. But if I will fear the Lord, if I will humble myself and submit myself to His Lordship, His mercy is extending. It's extending towards us. It's reaching towards us. It's reaching even today. Look with me in the next portion of her song. Luke Chapter 1, verse 51, she says these words. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. But he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. But he has sent the rich away empty. This tells me something about Mary. Mary believed God's word. She absolutely believed in God's word. And as her heart is filled with praise and her focus and her gaze is set on the glory of God and her Savior, she begins to do something. She begins to recall the stories of God's faithfulness throughout the Old Testament. As she's standing here in this moment of worship, she begins to think of all the ways that God has kept His covenant, of all the ways that God has delivered His people. She talks about how He had scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts, but how He's performed mighty deeds 
mighty deeds with his arm, how he's brought down rulers from their thrones. And as she begins to go through the history of the people of God, she recognizes something, that God is faithful to his word. She begins to recall all of those stories. Can I just remind you this morning of a powerful principle in the word of God? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Your faith grows when you meditate on the truth of his word. When, when God speaks in your heart, when God does something, one of the ways that we turn towards Galilee and we don't go towards the hill country in our hearts is because we never open the word to hear what God is saying. Because God's word never contradicts his promises and God's promises never contradict his word. And so as you receive a word from God, and God's speaking even today, saying, I want to use you. That's, that's the song that Christmas is singing today. I want to use you in the same sense that I used Mary. I want you to carry my word on the inside of you. I want you to bring my presence into your world. So oftentimes we listen to all the voices around us and even those within us. And what we ought to do is reflect on the word of God. Mary began to believe the word of God. And then at the end of her song, she does something that's incredible. At the end of her song, she begins to do something that the the prophets in the Old Testament would do. And that is that they would declare something with such confidence and such conviction that God was going to do. They would say it. They would say it like it already happened. Look with me in in the story. In verse 54, it says, He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as He promised our ancestors. Here's Mary. She's speaking in past tense like this is already a done deal. And she's just in the first trimester of her pregnancy. And she's saying God's been faithful all through the past. And God is fulfilling His promise to His people. She's referring to a promise way back in Genesis 12. Where God told Abraham, I'll bless you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless your life. I'm going to make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless others who bless you. Whoever curses you, I'll curse them. And then he said this to Abraham way back in Genesis 12. He said, all the people on earth will be blessed through you. And in an inspired moment of faith, as if it's already happened, Mary prophesies over your life. She was fully convinced that the blessing of God inside of her was going to affect you right here in Wrightsville, Pennsylvania. In 2015, she said, all the earth is going to be blessed. They're blessed. She had a conviction and a confidence in what God was going to do. And she moved forward. She moved forward by faith. That's what you have to do. That's what we all have to do. We have to hear the word of God and begin to reckon upon the promises of God for our life. And then just move forward as if it's already done. Don't wait for the evidence. The Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is the evidence of the things that we hope for. It's the substance of the things that are unseen, the Word says. And so we don't wait for any kind of manifestation of evidence. We receive the promise, we receive the Word, and then we begin to walk it out. We just move by faith and say, God, so be it. It's a done deal. Your Word is established in my life. 
four things. Let me just recap them for you in case you're a note taker. This song says to me four things that I hope it, it speaks to our hearts today. Number one is live for His glory, not your own. My soul glorifies God. That was her song. A lot of people aren't postured to be used by God because they're just too self-centered. I'm not pointing at anybody today, but that's just the reality. That God wants to use your life, but your life is all about you. And Mary's life was all about glorifying God. Number one, live for His glory, not your own. Number two, call out to Him as Savior. This is the starting place. She said, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Hear me today. If you have not called out to Jesus to be the Savior and the Lord of your life, there's not another prayer you can pray. Because the Bible says God won't hear the prayers of the wicked. The only prayer that He's going to hear from you is a prayer of surrender. Don't walk out of this place saying, you know, I want to be used by God. If you haven't called out to Him as Savior. He's Savior. And in saying that, not just for the unsaved person, but even those of us who are the redeemed, in saying, God, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, it reminds me, and it ought to remind you, that God didn't pick me for this job because of my skills, my abilities, or my qualifications. He picked me because of who He is, not who I am. And so there's not a day that goes by, no matter how long you've served the Lord, that you shouldn't say, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Because were it not for grace, there go I. I'd be the wickedest and the most wretched among sinners. But He is God my Savior. The third thing is this. You've got to walk in His ways. You have to walk in His ways. Mary sang the song. She said, His mercy extends to those who fear Him. If you're not walking in the fear of the Lord, if you're not walking in the ways of God, you can't reckon upon the promises of His Word that you're walking in disobedience to. So Mary was at a place where the angel could say, you are highly favored because she walked in His ways. We have to align our lives with God's Word. And the fourth thing is this. Take God at His Word. Take Him at His Word. Talk about it like it's already done. It's established. When I pray for healing, I thank God for healing. I said when I pray for healing, I thank God for healing. Usually we thank God for things or we thank people for things after we get them. But it's not that way in faith. You can thank God right now as if it's already done, as if it's already been established by faith. Thank you, God, that you're meeting my needs. By faith, thank you, God, that I am the healed of the Lord. By faith, thank you, God, that my family is saved, that my children are coming back home. Thank you, God, that my body is healthy and whole in Jesus' name. We walk by faith and not by sight. And so we have to take God at His word. God wants to use you. God wants to use your life. Does everybody here know what a, a selfie is? I mean, I, I think we've kind of all caught up to technology. You know, a selfie is a term that's become popular in the last few years. It's when you take pictures of yourself. And, and it's, it's promoted the invention of things like this, a selfie stick. 
This is so you can take a better picture of yourself. It's even got a button down here. <laughs> so I can hit the button and take a picture of myself with my selfie stick. I, I saw a video. <laughs> I saw a video a few weeks ago that went viral on YouTube. It was a guy from Ireland. Maybe you saw this. It was a guy from Ireland who took a, a vacation with his wife to Las Vegas. And if you've, ever, if you've ever been invited to a friend's house to watch footage from their family vacation, you know. <laughs> it's never as exciting for you as it was for them. You know, you're just sitting there watching the video footage. But this guy's video of his vacation to Las Vegas went viral. And the reason that it was so wildly popular is because of a mistake that he made. He had a selfie stick, and he didn't have a camera like this phone. He had a GoPro camera, so there was no screen on it. And he walked around Las Vegas all week commentating and, and talking about, oh, look, there's, there's Trump Tower. Oh, look, there's a Taj Mahal right over there. He walked around all week taking footage of Las Vegas. And he got back home to his home in Ireland, and he uploaded the footage, and he discovered right then that all week he had the camera in selfie mode. Sometimes you got to laugh at yourself, I guess. So he uploaded the video. And it's been taunted as like the world's worst Vegas tour ever. It's just him. You're watching the video. It's just him. Oh, look at all. Oh, that's so beautiful. Oh, look at the fountains over there. Wow, that's amazing. Oh, hey, honey, look, look over there. Look at this. Get a good shot of that. And it's just his face. The whole video. I... I saw that and I had to laugh. <laughs> and then I heard the Spirit speak. And I just wonder how many people are going to, at the end of their days, at the end of their life, they're going to get to heaven and the video footage of their life is going to be played back. And in that moment, they're going to realize that they lived the whole thing in selfie mode. That God had so many things for them to see, so many things for them to do, so many opportunities that were before them, beautiful moments for miracles to happen in and through their life if they would have been a carrier of the presence of God. But it was all about them. And they lived their life in selfie mode. And they missed their moment to be the instrument to be the vessel, to be the carrier of Jesus into somebody else's life, into their kids' lives, into their spouse's life, into their co-worker's life. They missed the moment because the camera was facing the wrong way. Now this camera does have two lenses. It's got one right here for selfies, and it's got one right here. And the thing about my camera, and probably yours if you have a phone similar, is the camera on the outside takes much better pictures. It's got more megapixels. It's got higher resolution. And that's what the Lord would say to you. The picture that I'm trying to get out of your life is going to be a whole lot better if you turn the thing around. Get it out of selfie mode and get a glimpse of what I'm trying to do through you. God wants to use you. And it starts... With a prayer that says, God, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I'm the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's servant. My, my life is 
to glorify you, my Savior. Not because I'm worthy, but because I need you. My life is to glorify you and to walk in your way. I want to obey your statutes. I want to obey your commands. And God, I want to believe your word. I want to so radically believe your word that even if there's no evidence to support it, because you said it, that settles it. And I'm walking by faith towards the fulfillment of the promise you have for my life. This week started out really low for me. A week ago, Friday, (coughs) day after Thanksgiving, we were down in Georgia with our family and we arranged a photographer to come because it's a rare moment that all of my family gets together. All uh, my, my parents and, and my brothers and our spouses and our kids and my niece and her husband. We were all together. And so we did family photos on Friday. Now I was shocked on Monday to receive a text message from my brother that said, Rich, his daughter's husband, just committed suicide. Please pray for the family. On Friday, in Hamilton, Georgia, I'm, I'm talking, talking with my niece's husband about their marriage, just encouraging him. Man, God's going to do something great through you guys. Just don't give up. You know, everybody wants to have the perfect marriage. Don't put the bar that high. You're going to stress yourself out. Just have a good marriage. And you know how you have a good marriage? You just don't quit. Just don't quit, man. And he looked at me and he laughed and he said, Oh, no, man, I'm not a quitter. She's stuck with me. And then on Monday, he took his life. And I I wrestled with that this week, as anyone would, trying to find a place to put that in my cerebral cortex. I don't don't know how, how this fits with logic. And many would struggle to say, I don't know where this fits with with faith. Because he claimed to have faith in God. I've come to the conclusion that suicide ends your story with a question mark and no answers. When you take your life, you just end the statement with a question mark. And you leave everyone else to answer the questions. The Bible says this in Hebrews 12. That He, God, is the author and the perfecter of our faith. The Bible says in Psalm 139 that before one day of your life was lived out, all of them were written down in His book. He's the author. He's the one that is writing the story. And can I just tell you that God's stories never end with a question mark. God has purpose for you. He has a plan for your life. He wants to make a statement, not a question, a statement out of your life. And I don't, I don't know who's in this room today or where we're at on the gamut of the emotions, but I just felt compelled today to communicate to you if you're at a, it's more for you than just being motivated to, to love God more. Maybe you're even here today and you're, you're doubting a whole lot of things. God has a purpose and a plan 
for your life. God wants to use you. That's the message that Christmas is singing today. And it's not because of who you are. It's because of who he is. And while we have breath in our lungs, while we have opportunity, because the Bible says no man is guaranteed tomorrow, while we have opportunity, it's our responsibility, it's our response in worship, just as it was for Mary, to yield ourselves completely, to say, I am the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's servant. And to let God use you. You never know what people are going through. You never know how he wants to use you or when he wants to use you or where he wants to use you. But one thing you can know, he wants to use your life. He has a plan for you.